Well, hello there. Here comes a new episode of Rocket to the Cloud. Welcome to a new episode of Rocket to the Cloud, the show where we chat with leaders and decision makers in software development and especially the cloud. As usual, this show is made possible by Booster, the open source initiative by the Agile Monkeys, with a mission to disrupt the cloud industry and redefine developer experience, multiplying joy and productivity by 10. With the Booster framework, you can develop event-driven applications, and with next to zero configuration, you can have them deployed effectively to multiple cloud providers with all the infrastructure inferred from the code and the framework taking care of the provisioning the necessary resources. Because it's an open source project, all contributions are welcome. You'll find a link to Booster's GitHub in the, in the description and also on his website, www.booster.cloud. In this episode, Nick and I sat down to chat with Mark Hardy. Mark is the CTO of Minds.com, which is a social network in case you didn't know. But what sets Minds apart from the other social networks is that it's open source and actually rewards users for using the platform with cryptocurrency tokens. Minds is on a stated mission to take control of social media back to the people. Mark shared with us all the technical challenges faced when building a decentralized open platform. Let's check it out. All right, welcome to another episode of Rocket to the Cloud. How are you doing, Mark? It's an honor to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm doing good, thanks. Just want to say I'm pretty excited about, about this one. Sometimes like people compare me to Richard Stallman and stuff like that because I'm super concerned about privacy and <laughs> things like that. So having Mark here and having the opportunity to talk about Minds is super cool. And it's good to see you back, Nick, because you haven't been in the past uh, couple of episodes, so... Great to see you back. All right, so uh, Mark, you are the CTO, so I guess you are in charge of all of the technical aspects of Minds. We know we're very curious about a lot of things about Minds, what we've seen from your code base, which is open sources on GitHub. And um, for example, we noticed that Minds, the back ends in PHP. PHP is a language that a lot of people nowadays, uh, I don't know, they, like they write it off. It's not deemed like cool or edgy, like, I don't know, like Elixir or... Uh, I don't know some other things that the, the kids are using nowadays. Rust, and, you know, Rust's the yeah, trendy one at the moment, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And oh, PHP—that's for like WordPress blogs and that kind of stuff. But um, so that's what we're curious. How has PHP worked out for you at over at Minds? And also, do you feel that PHP has an undeserved reputation? Yeah, I, I think people do give PHP a hard time unnecessarily. I, I think there's probably a time. 10 years ago when it did probably deserve to be trashed. But since then, it has come on significantly. Now, it, you know, it's much more object-orientated. Uh, it's, it's got a very easy test suite that you can work with. Um, and it's just easy and quick to develop with. And it also scales pretty well. Um, scales better than other languages that, that we've been using. I mean, comparing it to to Node, which was only like five years ago, the trendy backend language to start using. I mean, PHP for us has been significantly more scalable and quicker to develop with as well. So 
we like PHP, especially since um, and we're looking forward to actually bringing in the new PHP 8 changes um, that, that has even more typing support um, and a lot more cool features that we probably don't need to get too much into right now. Um, but PHP has definitely become a more mature language. You can definitely write PHP code wrongly, which I think a lot of people used to do. But I think if you know what you're doing with PHP, then it is a great language to use. And do you have any other languages incorporated in you know in the whole uh, mind stack? Because I guess PHP is only uh, limited mm -hmm. to the back end, but I don't know. I guess in the front end, you probably use uh, JavaScript or TypeScript or um, others. Yeah, we use we use TypeScript. We use Angular for our, our front end um, framework, and our mobile apps use React Native. We do also um, recently we launched our Minds Chat app, which is using Matrix, the Matrix protocol. So that's a federated decentralized um, chat system. And that runs on Python um, as the backend language. And the front end is React um, for the web client. And then iOS, I think, is just using Swift and Objective-C. Um, I've not been writing the, the mobile code for that. But the, the Android code's actually using, a trend, using Kotlin, which I guess is what you'd call a trendy um, language framework at the moment. Cool. And what about frameworks? Do you use like some kind of frameworks in your stack? Do you go bare bones? For the front end, Angular um, yeah. and mobile apps, React Native. But framework-wise for the back end, um, no. Only because... Um, so Minds is actually a fork of Elk, which is an open source social networking tool. But it's not, it's not really out of the box scalable. And it comes with a simple MySQL database, and it, it's meant for plugging and plugins uh, that people can write that can give um, extensible features. Um, we needed to rip a lot of that out in order to to scale to the number of users that that we have. So since then, we've kind of just refactored so much of it, and so we don't follow a framework because we came from what was a framework, um, and we've just been just been following the main. Uh, PHP fig standard practices, um, which which is pretty much interoperable with most of the frameworks. So it's like a, a framework standard. So we basically made our own framework, I guess. What about uh, the infrastructure? You on premises, public cloud? So we are on multi clouds. So we use Terraform for all our configurations. So everything kind of deploys itself with pre-built scripts, and we run on AWS and on Google Cloud, and they both talk to each other, which is um, one of our main achievements in the last six months is getting um, redundancy of the cloud. So if AWS goes down, then everything is going to be over on, on Google. Uh, so our main database that allows us to do that is called Cassandra. Um, it's a really cool NoSQL um, horizontally scaling database. So if, if one of the nodes goes down, then everything else stays up and it, and it, it can reprovision itself and, and load, the, load the data as well. And Cassandra is uh, magically scalable, I guess, <laughs> if, you, if you know the wizardry skills. Yeah, it's super cool. And have you guys always been, um, have you always been multi-cloud, right? Um, or did you start, I don't know, I guess with one of the clouds, I guess just start with AWS and then just, or was it always um, from the get-go like that? Well, when we first started, we were using just, in our kind of early stages, we were running on 
um, servers in Bill's basement. He's the CEO. Um, <laughs> but we, we didn't run production in, in, in the basement. That, that was just more like internal testing and some developer stuff. But since we've been in production or, or alpha, beta, uh, we've always been running on AWS. And recently, we've, we've uh, in the last two years, we've been using Kubernetes, which has made it easier to be running in multiple different clouds. Um, but we are, we're too small right now to be running our own cloud, but we want to get into a situation where we're not having to run on big tech, where we can yeah. run on our own cloud. It just, it's very difficult to, to do that because then you have to start either managing your own servers, you have to find uh, a data center that can really handle that. And there's a few and we've been in, in touch with them, but you know, you, you, you've got to, we're focusing on the app right now and then focusing on building our own cloud um, next. But it is definitely in the pipeline that we would be running our own Minds cloud, so. Right. You mentioned Terraform is um, to have all your stuff running on, on, on multiple cloud. That's your, your, your main, uh, I guess, uh, tool of choice, having infrastructure as code. Um, and you also mentioned Kubernetes. So how do you, I guess, uh, manage all these different uh, resources across the different clouds. So we write, well, in terms of the Kubernetes, we did, I'm trying to explain this in a, uh, how we manage all the resources. We write the Terraform modules and then we, we run them. Um, the, the Terraform modules between what runs on the AWS environment and what runs on the Google environment aren't necessarily interoperable. They, need, they do need slight tweaks depending on um, you know, the load balances that are used um, on AWS require certain annotations and then the load balances that are on Google Cloud um, require certain annotations um, for, for, how, for how they work. So, so the load balances is an example of, of things that need to change. Um, but uh, Helm charts make that a lot easier. So we have the Helm charts which um, control the Kubernetes configurations and then we have Terraform which controls the Helm charts. And then uh, we have, at the moment, we have me, um, who tells the Terraform um, configurations to run. But um, when we start getting a bit more confident and scale out when it's a necessity, actually have a CI environment provision the clouds itself. Um, that's, that's something that we're gonna be getting to soon. It, it's just not mission critical for us right now. Uh, we do commit all the Terraform codes up to Git, GitLab though. Um, and you, you, can, you can view those and, and see how it all works. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty interesting stuff. Nowadays, uh, it's like most, if not all, social media platforms are closed source. And I, I believe that they have like some kind of secretism in their code bases, like, well, what, what will happen if someone find, finds a security bug in our code base and then they exploit, exploit that in their favor? And mine mm -hmm. is just suddenly like open source and everyone can go and fix their bugs. But what about if someone goes the exploiting way? How do you deal with that? Yeah, I think that's a good question, but it, it, it kind of assumes that um, just because the code's closed source that somehow it's more secure. Um, and actually, I think with us being 
um, open source and everything we do, um, even down to the Terraform configurations being out there, um, means that we can't be, be sloppy in what we do and that it, it makes us think twice about the way that we write the code and, and how secure and how secure it is. There's, there's no excuse for accidentally putting secret variables in a, in a, in a file that gets com committed to your Git repository because that's going to be out there for everyone. So, so we make sure those things, those things can't happen. Um, but I think that I would argue that it's probably it's more secure to show people what the code does because then people would look at it and, and then out us for saying, wow, this thing is incredibly insecure. Like you can do this, this and this. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, I'm not I'm not buying the argument that it mm -hmm. just because it's closed source that it's more secure. Um, Absolutely. I, I mean, if you I mean Linux. Um, is you know the the base of pretty much what all servers on the internet or most servers rather um, run on is all open source and yep. um, the security bugs and um, are found all the time. Um, so, yeah, absolutely, I completely agree in that. But we'd we'll like to know like more vision on on that part. And like I believe that forking the mind code base is not only welcome but also encouraged. Yeah, I mean, forking, but also contributing back to us. I mean, we'd love to accept changes back that, that people, people make to us. Um, but yeah, we, we want more people to be running, running mines, um, and we want people to be helping with the decentralization efforts that we've got. Um, and I think the, the ultimate goal of, of where we're at is that we, we don't want to be an authority at all um, in, in, in what happens on the network and, and leave that for other communities and, and individuals to determine how they want their networks to run. Um, there's still a bit of a way to go in the decentralization um, process though for that to happen. Um, one of the main obstacles is actually the networking part of it is uh, what happens when someone's phone's not available, I mean, it has to be con constantly transmitting and um, then there's like networking firewall rules that decentralized things require that not your average person doesn't really know know how to get around that but there's there's definitely we're making some uh, some good headway um, we're still kind of in a research phase with the more decentralized like true decentralized parts I'm not, not talking federation like decentralization um, the blockchain end of things is probably the most decentralized uh, that we've got at the moment so is a project 100% community driven or is there like an organization, a company, a foundation or whatever that it's calling the shots with regards to, you know, the product roadmap, uh, new features, you know, how do you manage an ambitious project like Minds? So currently Minds is, the Minds open source code is what Minds as a company is pushing out there. Um, the Open source community still needs to be, it needs to be a bit more mature than it is. And um, in terms of community governance, uh, that's something that we currently don't have. We have people contributing source code to us, but in terms of the decision making, um, especially getting more around the, the token blockchain end of things is, is what we're currently expanding out into how the community whether they're developers or just users of the, the site, how they can contribute to the decisions we make is 
something that's going to be more um, established in the next few months. And how would you feel, like, or rather, like the mind team feel if someone makes a fork of mind, but then suddenly uses for questionable practices like monetizing users' private info? I guess someone can do that, but why would would an individual knowingly want to go and use the exact same thing that spies on people when they can use one that doesn't? Um, so, you know. We also do have the, um, we use the AGPL v3 license, talking about Richard Storman at the start there. Um, so the AGPL v3 means that if anyone modifies the code, that they have to reopen source it. So they can't take the mines code and put a load of spyware in and make it closed source. They have to reopen that. So they'd have to disclose that, hey, we're putting all these trackers on you and then we're going to sell it to all these people and do all this nasty stuff because um, you'd know exactly what they're doing which I think would scare people even more because you, you'd actually see the code rather than Facebook where they uh, persuade us that they're, they're not really doing these things with the data. Okay so now that we were talking about uh, we mentioned uh, Facebook and uh, you know the questionable practices of the uh, of the mainstream social networks um, I want to ask a couple of questions regarding you know the ugly side of you know, running a social network. So I guess the first one would be, uh, you know, mainstream social networks, uh, they have been under a lot of scrutiny, especially, you know, in the past year, um, when, you know, with everything happened, you know, with the U.S. election and all that stuff, you know. So the mainstream social networks have a perceived laissez-faire attitude towards the spread of fake news, hate speech, and all that kind of stuff on their platform. So... My question is, so how does Minds cope with such issues? You say, <laughs> yeah. you say that they're pretty lax, um, and I'll be pretty blunt, they're pretty lax for a certain political persuasion, it seems, for, for what suits them that they're lax about. I mean, I, I don't think you can be any more radical than removing the president of the United States. The sitting president of the United States from your social network is a, a pretty radical step to make. And... You might not like what he's saying, but he's an elected, uh, well, I mean, he was an elected, um, you know, politician at the time, the head of the right. largest democracy in the world. And they, they deplatformed him, which was, in my opinion, totally um, inappropriate. And he's still actually not allowed back on. And Facebook's uh, quasi um, community board also upheld the decision. Or what they didn't really have too much too much ground to uh, to uphold that. Um, we have a community jury that makes these decisions. So if Minds makes a decision that is against our content policy, um, then the community decides whether it should be upheld or not. So that's where we differ from Facebook. And I think Twitter's actually started to do something similar to what we're doing, but not quite clear on. Um, and the full extent of how their, their community moderation works. But we, like the US Constitution, we have 12 jurors. And if the majority upholds the decision, then um, the, decision, the decision stands. But we follow the, the law, and if it's legal, then it's not for us to say whether it's allowed. I mean, just because it's on the network doesn't mean that we 
agree with it. And when you start going down the lines that Facebook and Twitter's going, they're almost saying that they are endorsing everything that's on the network by taking the stance that they are. So we don't endorse anything. And as long as it's legal, it will remain um, on, on the site. So you mentioned that you have this uh, these twelve jurors. How um, commu that are community selected? How is the process for selecting these jurors that uh, take these decisions regarding uh, moderation? So if you're active on the site um, and a jury request comes in, we will randomly select um, twelve random users to be in the pool. So it's it's not people who necessarily go and kind of hold their hands up and say they want to do it. You'll, you will just get a prompt on your screen uh, that says you've been selected, press here. Um, and if they don't select it, if they say no, or they don't answer it in with, uh, I think, two minutes, then it just goes to someone else, to totally random. Um, so we, we don't ask questions about their ideologies or where they stand or, or if they differ. Um, that might be a good thing to do or it might be a bad thing to do. Um, because then you're kind of making these uh, kind of polar decisions, I guess. But we, we think it's better than doing nothing. Um, right. Actually giving the community the power to, to, to hold us to account. And uh, in that regard, you, you guys have, have never um, thought about of, of using, you know, ML or AI for uh, content moderation? That is actually something we are, we are looking at um, in order to... I mean, certainly, we're not talking about censoring anything, but in terms of um, making content, um, we're looking at something called the political or, or the social compass, where people can select what things they want to see on social media, because people come for different things. Some people just want to see photos of nature, and they just want to... Talk to their their friends. Um, they're not interested in all the politics and um, polarized politics that that exists and um, shouting matches. So we're we're looking at ways in order to categorize content on whether it's apolitical, political, but also um, whether it's kind of more like politically activist or just just general news stories. Um, it just seemed that everything in the current day, it, it does seem to be polarized though. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a very hard thing to do. Um, but we are, we are looking at ways in, in order to give posts um, kind of edge points so that they can be discovered. Um, I'm kind of using both AI and graph technologies in order to kind of link these posts together. Um, that is all open source as well though, um, or, or will be when it actually gets fully built. Um, so everyone can see what they're doing. And I think the key thing is that people can decide whether they want to use that or not. I mean, if you want to see everything, then, then you can. If you want to put yourself in the nature bubble, then you can. And sometimes you do want to switch off. You don't want to, you know, it's like switching the news off because you're fed up of, of watching it. You should be able to switch off that part of the social social media world as well. So it's just good for people's sanity, I guess.
and like about like talking about this content and the, the data like is is everything like encrypted to ensure privacy and anonymity so most things that happen on the mines network um that you see is is like twitter where it's public so there's there's not really much benefit to encrypting that because if you make a post it can be viewed by anyone anyway so there's, there's not much point in encrypting that we do encrypt all of the private messages so if you use MindChat and you you message someone we can't read what you're saying to someone um, at all so that is good for us because we don't want to know what you're talking about um, but it is not great for the authorities who come to us and ask for um, the data because we can't really give them anything that they can't find by just looking um, publicly anyway. So we try to collect as little data as possible from people and anything sensitive like private messages, we do encrypt. Yeah, makes sense. And I think that's the, the, the stance that a lot of the, for example, the messaging apps, I think WhatsApp does that. Well, WhatsApp, I, you know, prove that you're encrypted because I've never seen any of their code. I mean, I guess they've had third party security audits that validate it, but you know, those guys get paid a lot of money. Um, yep. and so <laughs> that's a question of their integrity. But why is, why is the WhatsApp encryption code not, not open source? Like, what are they, what are they hiding there? And when they're, they're trying to monetize and, and get adverts showing in WhatsApp messages, it's um, how do you do that if you're not um, able to decrypt messages? Now let's move on to our next topic, which is uh, a big part of also, you know, the, the mind's philosophy around decentralization, all that stuff. It's related to mm-hmm. crypto, right? Uh, cryptocurrencies, tokens, and all that kind of stuff. And you guys, you have your own tokens, which is uh, it's called Minds, uh, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, we have the, the Minds token, um, and we actually reward 10,000 Minds tokens a day to the network. Um, 40% of that goes to engagement rewards. So just by making a post um, and people interacting with you, you, you will get um, a share of that um, 4,000 tokens, the 40% of the 10,000 that gets divvied out. Um, I forget what the, the other um, percentages are. Um, but we, we have a, a big pool that gets, um, I think 50% um, gets given out to liquidity providers. So they're users who stake Ethereum um, and Mines tokens. Um, they get given a, a, a share of that 10,000 rewards. And then also just for holding Mines tokens, so not selling them, we actually give people, um, I guess you, it's, it's a similar thing to interest, but we, you get Mines tokens daily for that as well. And so, we use Uniswap for the liquidity um, liquidity positions. Now I want to know, like, how do you, I guess, use Mines tokens, right? Are they like points or frequent flyer miles that you would use in an airline that you can then, I don't know, exchange for, uh, I guess, I don't know, virtual goods inside Mines uh, or, or they can Yeah, that, that's the easiest way of, I think flying miles is probably the easiest way that people can get, get their heads around it. So we have a system called Boost, which is our... Um, ad network on the site so you can with your tokens you can use those to get more views on your content either boosting your own channel card um, so your profile card on the sidebar or just by having a post that you've made um, appear at the top of people's news feeds so that you can uh, that's actually you can't pay with a credit card for boost you have to use mines tokens um, 
And we have products called Minds Plus, which gives you um, extra, extra things on the site, and then Minds Pro um, as well, um, which you can also spend Minds tokens on. And, and these Minds tokens, could you like trade them in crypto exchanges like Coinbase or? So we're not on Coinbase, but we are on a decentralized exchange called Uniswap. Um, so if you go to Uniswap, then you can swap your mines tokens for Ethereum, but also swap Ethereum for mines tokens as well. And how's the valuation to other cryptocurrency nowadays? It's still, I mean, with crypto, um, it's still relatively volatile. It, it, it changes um, pretty rapidly. I mean, when we launched it, it was, uh, we targeted that it would be 15 cents, but I think right now it's charging it at like two dollars or something, which is the market rate. So it's significantly higher than than we were expecting when we first um, we first rolled it out. Which which is you know I'm not complaining. Um, <laughs> that's what the, the 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 market says it's it's worth. Um, but Uniswap is interesting because no one's in control of what that price is apart from um, the people. I mean, it's, it's a complete decentralized, um, the Uniswap system. So no one's in, in control and it, it, the price is stabilized by the liquidity providers. So as I was talking before, we give um, a percentage of the daily rewards issuance that we have to these liquidity providers to incentivize them to, to provide an, an equal part of Ethereum to mines tokens. That, that allows the transaction to be balanced. So if someone wants mines tokens, then um, they will come out of the, the, the mines part of the liquidity pool um, and then it would, it would balance out with the Ethereum side. And th that all happens without anyone having to be in control of, of those funds. I, I want to get back to something that you mentioned uh, that uh, you can use mines tokens to um, boost your own post, uh, use them like, I guess, add dollars or euros or whatever yep. um but um there's no way that i could take you know dollars pay with my credit card and buy mines tokens and then you know run ads on mines you can buy mines token. you can buy mines tokens with a credit card we use a service called transact that allows you to use your credit card or a bank transfer um, I think if you're in if you're in the e, the UK or the EU, you can use a bank transfer, which is actually a lot cheaper as well. Um, but in the US, you can buy it with a with a credit card. So getting back to uh, the, the the technical aspects of blockchain and, and crypto, it's been on, on the news, you know, in the couple of days. You know how Elon Musk said that uh, he he I guess he, he admitted that Bitcoin is uh, something that's detrimental to the environment, um, has a negative environmental impact because, and that's all associated to the consensus uh, algorithm, which in Bitcoin's case is, is proof of work, right? Um, I guess mm -hmm. in Ethereum, I think it's proof of stake. So are you guys at Minds aware of that uh, negative environmental impact? Um, are, are you guys using some other, you know, I guess, uh, environmentally friendly consensus algorithm? Yeah, we use the Ethereum um, network for the Minds tokens. So Minds runs on Ethereum. Ethereum right. actually in the next, I think in the next 12 months, it's, it's scheduled to be fully out, but Ethereum 2 is moving from proof of work to proof of stake. Proof of stake, yeah. So the liquidity providers again, um, by, by putting your Ethereum on the line, so then if you kind of abuse it or, or whatever, then you lose it. And that uses significantly less 
power than um, proof of work, which is what Ethereum is currently running on um, and Bitcoin runs on. Um, how the, the in, important thing though is that just the more transactions that happen does not mean that it costs more to, for the network to run. It's not the transactions that cost the electricity. It's the, it's the mining. So the, right. the more people who are, who are going in and doing the, the processing, um, that's what uh, causes the, the huge amounts of power is people competing to get the block rewards, not uh, your average person who's doing the transactions. That doesn't really cost anything at all. Right. But the, the, the proof of stake is, is, is what I think is going to make Elon, um, Elon happy. So he should, he should get on the Ethereum uh, and mines token world. Yeah, now he's he talking a lot a about... <laughs> yeah, he keeps ta talking about Doge. Um, how about a proof of storage, that new one that came out that seemed to uh, make, make the world uh, run out of hard drives all of a sudden with a Chia token, if I recall correctly? I'm not familiar with that. Um, I've got to admit, I'm not familiar with, with Chia. Yeah, it probably doesn't sound like it's it's the best solution. Um, I, I think proof of stake seems like a pretty good um, a pretty good solution. The, the, the one of the problems we have with Ethereum though is the huge gas fees. Um, so to explain, I, if you want to explain what gas is, I I can go into that. Um, go ahead, go ahead, please. Okay, right. Sure. <laughs> so gas is gas allows you to ga gas is the fuel of the Ethereum network. So you e each transaction costs a certain amount of gas. However, there is a price to the gas, and the gas price starts at one. And right now, it's up at something like two hundred and eighty. Um, so when the transactions are um, are being processed, the, the people who are currently doing the proof of work get these huge amounts of gas as a reward for doing that. And that's how it gets shared out. The problem is that to get your transaction working faster, you just give it a higher gas price. And that's what everyone does. They get it. They keep increasing the gas price, increasing the gas price and increasing the gas price. So then you have these huge gas prices um, that ends up for just a simple transaction of costing upwards sometimes of nearly $100 to send a transaction on the Ethereum network, which is crazy. If you're doing yeah. like Uniswap transaction for $50, it costs you uh, sometimes $150 just to do that swap. Uh, so you, it, it works fine for large transactions, but for small transactions, it's just totally unaffordable. But there are options out there which are using side chains. Um, there's um, that that we're, we're looking at, um, and we're going to be implementing. We have our own off-chain solution, um, so uh, it, that that's the interesting world of Ethereum right now. That should also be getting a lot better with Ethereum two, though. And what is Ethereum two expected to uh, come out? There's parts of Ethereum 2 that are already merged in. Um, I don't actually know. Ethereum 2 launch date is, I think it's, I think it's January of 
two. Oh, so it's not, it's not that far ahead. It's not that far away. Um, there's right. going to be big changes, big changes there. So um, do you use uh, a blockchain technology or the Ethereum network for things other than the mines token? I, I'm thinking because you, you're running on Ethereum, you're probably using a, maybe smart contracts, you know, that kind of stuff. We have a few smart contracts. Um, the main one is the mines token itself. So the mines token is a smart contract on Ethereum. Um, but we also have other smart contracts for doing a boost. That's a smart contract because um, you, you can actually boost to it. It doesn't have to be mines.com that you're doing the boost on. If you're using Ethereum, you can actually do a boost to other networks as well. Um, and then you can also, we, the withdrawing the tokens from the mines off chain to the on chain um, solution uses um, a smart contract as well. And then the non um, token world of smart contracts is still in the prototype phase, but usernames and registering a username is another scenario for when a smart contract comes into use. So with the smart contracts, people can claim their usernames and that address who, who does the claim then owns the username, which is probably one of the most important things in a decentralized social network is actually having a name that can link to something and mm -hmm. having the authority that that is your name. And then there's the decentralized ID world, um, which is constantly evolving, but that uses the Ethereum network as well, um, both with smart contracts and then just, just having an address and, and signing is, is, is where one of the simplest uh, uses comes in. And how about NFTs for uh, user-generated content on the Minds site? I, NFTs is something that I guess we're looking at, but why an NFT would be, what, what the value is of an NFT is, yeah. is the biggest debate. Um, I, I think maybe I'm not understanding what <laughs> the point of NFTs are. When they, they say, oh, this is an NFT of a piece of art, it's like, right? I mean, it still exists, <laughs> everyone can see it. I mean, what's the point of your NFT? It's like bragging so, rights. It's, yeah, like an NFT of a bad. tweet. What? What? So, I, I, did someone not pay like a ridiculous amount of NFT for a, a tweet on Twitter? But like, <laughs> what's the point? <laughs> I, yeah, I agree. I think it, it's ridiculous for the most part. <laughs> and uh, speaking of Twitter decentralization and all the stuff, like how does Minds compare to Mastodon? I've been a Mastodon user for a long, for like a long time, but I stopped mm -hmm. using it for several reasons. But what sets Minds apart from Mastodon in terms of philosophy and goals? So Mastodon is a federated um, social network, and that's they're they're taking decentralized at the federated level, um, which is which is what our messenger actually uses. So so it, it, it's decentralized at the at the server level. So, so users register to a server and then they can talk to other people on other servers. We're going down the path of people having controlling their own data and not relying on a third party server at all. So, so we're going decentralized, de decentralized rather than federated is, is, so, is, is how we differ from, from Mastodon. So, so you're going like this, centralized peer-to-peer -peer internet 
like the joke from Silicon Valley HBO show. Yeah, we're we're doing <laughs> we're doing the Silicon Valley uh, Pied Piper. This is what we're going after. But, but, but <laughs> actually, like more successful. But yeah, like actually, actually that's a, a joke that they put there, like a sci-fi fantasy. But nowadays, it <laughs> sounds like something feasible. Like, like yeah, do you think that uh, internet internet should go in that direction? I think there's. There's places where it makes sense and then where it doesn't. I, I think for social networks, it does make sense. Um, Ethereum is close, but as I said, it, it, it's very expensive to talk to the Ethereum network. No one's going to be paying $60 to $100 to make a post. That's not, not going to happen. It would, it, it would bankrupt people. Um, so this... Technologies like IPFS, where the data can, can be stored, um, that's where we're doing most of our prototypes of, of, of storing the data in a de decentralized world. Um, there does become a point, though, where because it's so decentralized that everyone then is holding all the same amounts of data on their hard drives, and it, that doesn't seem sensible. You should only be storing what, what you need to. And that's why if the Ethereum or, or blockchain model for storing the social network posts does not make sense. It doesn't make sense for all the posts to be on a blockchain because blockchains just keep growing bigger. They never get smaller. They can't get smaller because they have to have all the history. That's, that's how, how they're, they're based. So to have every single post that everyone makes in the world on a blockchain is not going to work. Um, you'd have... You'd have petabytes and petabytes of data. Um, so IPFS makes more sense for actually storing the data, um, but the metadata of where that, that is probably makes sense to be on a blockchain, but it's probably not even that necessary because as long as you can verify who made the post, then all you need to do is go and ask that person, what is the list of posts that you have, and then grab those. It, it doesn't even necessarily need to be, there's, there's no benefit of that being in, in some kind of authority. Getting back to the to what we talked about in the beginning regarding your infrastructure and cloud infrastructure and basically getting anything done on the internet nowadays, you know, in the cloud space, there are basically like two companies that hold like over half of the market share, which are you know AWS, which holds I guess like a third, and then comes uh, Microsoft with Azure. In a way, that's effectively centralizing a lot of a big part of the internet. I want to ask you what are your thoughts on this and. Um, how do platforms like Minds try to uh, cope with this reality that goes, I guess, against the decentralization ideal? It's 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 worrying how how much control these these companies have, and when they start getting political as well, it's it's even more worrying because then it's basically what. Um, huge companies who have huge influence on the governments as well because they basically generate so much tax for the economy. So when companies like this are so powerful and then they can control what people think, which is what they do when they start making decisions on who they're, what, you know, what data is, is going to be allowed to be stored on their systems. And then when every service of a service is then using um, those platforms as well, they, they have an immense amount of power. So there does need to be alternatives. 
to these. Um, and I think running your own cloud is the safest option. Um, even then though, you, you still have to deal with the ISPs um, and get around that. So th you're, always, you're always gonna be answering to someone, but yeah, as, as trying to take as much power away from big tech is, is just something that needs to happen. Do you think the, all the cloud native ecosystem what should be their attitude towards uh, being a multi-cloud? That's behind pretty much every technology decision we make. Don't get locked in. Don't be tempted by the cheap um, like queue services that Amazon offer, which locks you in to, to doing it their way. Um, don't be locked into things like DynamoDB, which you put your, um, your data in and then you just stuck with Amazon. You can't simply flip over to, to another cloud provider when you want to. So using the cloud native um, projects, definitely something to do. Um, we're actually, we've, we've rolled it out, but it's not nothing that a user would care about. But we're, for our streams, we're using Pulsar, which also works multi-cloud um, out of the box. Um, that's like next gen Kafka um, for people who aren't familiar with that. Cassandra allows us to quickly switch between data centers. Um, Kubernetes, big um, big gains there. We're not locked into to anything that, that Amazon or Google says says we have to do. Um, yeah, everything everything we run, we make sure that we're not locked into and we can um, flip over to different cloud providers when we can. It does cost a little bit more money. You do have to, mm. you know, you don't get the um, pennies on the dollar kind of things that you do get with the services that they want to, but they know why they, they price it that cheaply. It's because they know that they're locking you into the system. So they have security there um, that we know you, we've got a long-term customer if they use this because they can't, they can't move over anywhere. I think that pretty much covers everything. Just Great to talking to you, Mark, and seeing your opinions in all of these different topics. <laughs> all right, yeah, thanks, that was fun. So um, I want to thank you, Mark, for uh, being a guest on our podcast. So good luck with uh, everything that we're going on with Minds. All right. Thank you, Lev. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode of Rocket to the Cloud. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to click the like button and subscribe to our channel. If you're listening to the podcast version, don't forget to subscribe as well. And remember, this show is brought to you by Booster, an open source initiative by the Agile Monkeys. So don't forget to visit the links found in the description for more information. See you next time. Have a good one.